are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thursday edition of Locked On NBA, David Locke along with Washington Post national columnist Ben Golliver. How are you, sir? Doing very well, Locke. I, I fear I'm doing better than some of these guys who had to make their debuts with their new teams this week. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you saw Evan Fournier with the 0 for 10 in his first game with Boston. They lost another tough one tonight. Vucevic and the Bulls just cannot get a win, it, it seems like. And then Andre Drummond gets injured pretty early in his first game with the Lakers, some sort of a toe injury. Don't think it's necessarily serious, but um, you know, they're on their way to losing to the Milwaukee Bucks tonight as well. So just kind of a, a tough opening week for a lot of those guys that got moved. You know what the thing about a lot of them is? If they were really, really good, they'd still be on their fir- the first team. Yeah, that tends to happen, especially with the buyout guys too, right? I mean, usually you don't want to pay guys to go away. So I think that's always important. I did see a lot of people freaking out and saying, oh, the buyout market's ruining the NBA. And I do think there's ways you could kind of modify and change things a little bit maybe give the incumbent team a little bit more of a financial advantage if they agree to it. But in general, uh, you're, you're, you're not going to find a complete game changer, you know, in that situation. We just have not really seen that in years past. And I don't think so far what we've seen from any of the guys who are bought out specifically um, has, has changed that this year either. Blake Griffin seems to be the best of the group. If he's really willing to just be a passer and facilitator, like, but otherwise, not moved by a lot of those. And Fournier wasn't a buyout guy. I want to talk about the West. I, I'm intrigued by what's going on in the West. I feel like there's been an earthquake. Not a good California reference for you. But I think there's been like a really big shift this week of what's happened in the West. I want your take on it. So let's start with the top. It is a two-team race for the one seed now. The one seed in the West is not going to be the Clippers- or the Lakers, or the Nuggets. The three teams that probably everybody projected it to be. It will either be the Utah Jazz or the Phoenix Suns. Like, I think that's, the Clippers are back five games. We've got 26 to play. They're not catching them. They're not catching either. They might catch the Suns, but I kind of doubt it. They're back three in the loss column. Like, I find that to be, now obviously I work for the Utah Jazz, so that's an interesting, but I think this is a pretty big kind of, when was the last time we had a conference race in which the two teams are going to be one and two or likely to be one and two in this case, or at least going to be one, were not someone that anyone thought they would be at the beginning of the year? It reminds me a little bit of Milwaukee's first really good season um, when Coach Bud first got there because they caught people a little bit by surprise and they were really good really early. Everybody kind of hopped on the hype train. And then they just kept winning consistently and people got bored of having the same conversations about the Bucks, And so they kind of moved on and then they came back in time for the playoffs. Right. I think the exact same thing is happening with Utah jazz. Right. And I'm guilty of it as well. Like, I mean, you know, I probably wrote two or three pieces about the jazz in the first seven weeks or so of the season. And then they just keep winning games and it's like, all right, well, they're still really good. You know, what's the new angle here? And, we're probably a little bit early for the defensive player of the year conversation, the coach of the year conversation, and, and those kinds of things. And so I'm sure we're going to get back around to it by the end of the, the year. But I think the Utah Jazz are going to be the number one seed in the Western Conference. I think that um, they're going to have the best record in the NBA overall. 
Is it true they haven't done that since 1998? Is that, that a, is a stat or a figure that I saw somewhere? That is true. The for the Stockton Malone 98 team was, I believe, the last time they had the number one seed. Well, that was an awesome team. And I'm actually, I think John Stockton's finally going to get his title locked. You know how much I love that guy. I mean, he's, he's in there in person watching uh, Gonzaga. You know, they're in the final four, just absolutely beating the brakes off of everybody. So it, it's a good week for... Uh, you know, the Utah Jazz, I would say, are on a big, long winning streak, seven games, but also a good week for the extended Jazz family uh, with, with John Stockton. But uh, do you get what I'm I'm kind of saying here is you're almost a, a victim of your own consistent success. You know, you don't have the ups and downs. You don't have the soap opera stuff. And that was the same deal with the, the Bucks. They just kind of went out there and beat everybody, went home, didn't make tons of headlines. And I think at, at some point you actually wind up flying the radar, uh, flying under the radar, rather, um, in those kinds of situations. I think Phoenix is the other story. I mean, I think Phoenix is, as much as I presented that as uh, a jazz story, I really meant as a Phoenix and a jazz story. I think they're they're equally as much the story. Tonight, the Jazz won 111-107 over Memphis. It's the third time the Jazz have beat Memphis since Friday. <laughs> well, thank you, NBA schedulers. They beat them. Thank f- you, weird pandemic season. <laughs> they beat them Friday, Saturday, and Wednesday. That's not that easy to do. The Jazz do it. Without the services of Donovan Mitchell today, no one's quite clear personal reasons. The Jazz plane did hit a flock of birds, had an engine catch fire and explode. They then had to have an emergency landing, and then Donovan did not join the team to Memphis. Whether those two are related or not has not been clear, but they won without Donovan Mitchell tonight, 111-107. Phoenix beat Chicago, 121-116. Chicago was a bit limited as Zach Levine did not play tonight, uh, but 45 for Devin Booker tonight. Phoenix is every bit the story the Utah Jazz are in that Western Conference right now. Um, they're definitely a big story. I kind of view them a little bit differently. I mean, I think, you know, I think that they're going to face a lot of questions heading into the playoffs for a couple of reasons. Number one, Chris Paul does tend to hit a wall when he gets in the playoffs. They've done an awesome job of managing his minutes this season. I think he's got around 31 minutes a night. When you need him to play 38-39 in the playoffs, how does that hold up over the course of a series? I think that's going to be one question for them. You're also going to have a second question where so many of their key contributors have no postseason experience whatsoever. Now, they did get some really valuable reps in in big games in the bubble because they were kind of playing those win-or-go-home games, you know, the regular season games down there. They go 8-0, so they showed that they could handle uh, ramped-up pressure, a lot of those younger guys, but still, it's going to be different uh, once you actually get into those Western Conference playoffs, the other challenge that they're potentially going to have is, you know, potentially a first-round series against the Lakers if they would slip, um, against a Portland team with Damian Lillard, who we know is a postseason killer, potentially against uh, the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic, who was sensational tonight against the Boston Celtics, and he's been in a really gr- good group too. So, and maybe even Golden State if they can find a way to sneak in and, and win the play-in and everything else. So. They're going to have a rest advantage playing in that 2-7 series because that's probably where it's going to go, like you mentioned, uh, You know where the team that they face is going to come out of that play-in tournament. But at the same time, I'm not necessarily sure they're going to be favored in that first-round series, especially depending on who their first-round opponent is. And so I think you add up all those questions. To me, they're a great story. The consistency factor has been amazing, in part because they just haven't had nearly as many guys in and out of the lineup, I think, as, as some other teams have had. But I do wonder whether they're that team that everybody else is kind of circling as, 
hey, if we have to play one of the top four seeds in the West in the first round, that's probably the weakest of the teams that you want to play. I mean, I'd way rather play Phoenix than Denver. I'd way rather play Phoenix than the Clippers or the Lakers. And certainly I'd rather play Phoenix uh, than the Jazz too. Is there a level this year in which regular season should be discounted because the amount of COVID misses, the uniqueness to the schedule, and the fact that Utah and Phoenix have stayed away from much of that discredits a little bit of who they are? I, I don't want to take anything away from them. I think this is – it kind of goes back to the commentary like Adam Silver and Doc Rivers were making before the bubble where it's like don't put an asterisk on it, put a gold star on it. I think if you can play consistent basketball this year, it's fantastic in the regular season. But every year we have the same conversation. How well does it translate regular season to postseason? And you really do have to look at the key availability of these players. We're never going to be judging the Lakers based on what they look like without LeBron James and Anthony Davis. If those guys are healthy, it's a completely different team. And they ramp it up to a whole different level once they get to the playoffs as well. So to me, it's more about trying to project forward in terms of you know, which of these teams have guys we know have done it previously. Um, what's their ceiling look like if everybody's healthy, not only themselves, but their potential opponents. And then, um, you know, what kind of momentum are they playing with right now? I, I do think that matters as well. And spirit too. I mean, that's something that I've noticed with some of these teams that are kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, just kind of uh, lollygagging through this season right now, like Boston. Boston takes entire quarters off almost every single game. It's starting to drive Brad Stevens crazy. The fans actually booed them in TD Garden. You know, they let some fans in finally this week. The Celtics fans were booing their own team because they're down 20-plus to Dallas. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff where in this kind of a difficult season, those kinds of bad habits are absolutely going to cost you games. It's going to catch up with you. And that's a red flag to me for the playoffs. Um, so teams that are able to avoid that play consistently, those are the teams that I'm saying their players should be in line for the major NBA awards. So a guy like Jokic, to me, is the MVP right now. He's done it night in, night out uh, for the Denver Nuggets. A guy like Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year, night in, night out for the Utah Jazz. And when I look at the, the Coach of the Year race, I mentioned this earlier, to me the leader in the clubhouse right now is, is Quinn Snyder. Uh, again, sometimes people like to you know vote for a guy, say like Monty Williams, because of how much he surpassed expectations. That's a completely fair argument, and it's going to be a very interesting Coach of the Year race. At the same time, like, who thought the Utah Jazz were going to have the best record in the NBA playing like this, especially after the challenging year they had last year, you know, with the, the league shutdown and the questions about, you know, Rudy's contract coming into the season and everything else. Um, you know, to me, I, I tend to reward that consistency factor uh, whenever possible in the awards conversations. He's Ben Golliver, The Washington Post. I'm David Locke. We'll compare what the Utah Jazz have done so far this season statistically and where it ranks in the last 20 years in the NBA, it's surprising. And then we have to see whether it's legitimate. We'll run through a bunch of the games of the night. And I think there's something that Ben alluded to earlier on the bottom part of the Western Conference playoff situation that's maybe even more interesting than what's happened at the top. There's some two really interesting tiers taking place. So all of that still coming on a busy, busy night around the NBA. Plus, we'll get all of our locked on nows, checking with our NBA experts, our local experts on every team of what's going on. Today's show is brought to you in part by Locker Room. Locker Room, download the app, join our locked on hosts on uh, in their rooms. You can find it on iOS. Locker Room is changing the way we talk about 
Sports. Today's show is also brought to you by Death at the Wing. It's a narrative documentary series looking at a generation of basketball stars and prospects that fell victim to historical, socioeconomic, and political forces defying the 80s. A new generation of basketball players like Magic, Bird, Dr. J took the mantle as the league stars. Basketball's faster and flashier style play would captivate TV audiences. But along the way to wealth and stardom, excess of the A's took its toll on the next generation of sports as economics created an explosion in wealth in the richest members of American society. Crack and cocaine made its way through neighborhoods where aspiring basketball players lived. Cars were faster. Car accidents took the lives of their players. Guns became easier to acquire. Healthcare and education budgets were slashed. Incarceration took over for rehabilitation as the country's guiding principles to addiction. Many players were suspended and jailed and less fortunate died. It's all call at Death at the Wing. Host Adam McKay is a writer, director, podcast host, occasional actor, and most notably knows a founding member of Upright Citizens Brigade and a former head writer at Saturday Night Live on Anchorman and The Big Short. So, go grab it. 1980s, Magic, Dr. J, but there was another side as well. Search Death at the Wing wherever you get podcasts to start listening. Locked on today is your daily podcast on all things sports. 20 minutes catching up with the whole sports world, so go grab it on whatever podcast provider you want. All right, Ben Golliver, here's a quick, let's quickly get a take on uh, on your take on this. I think this is at least... It's a discussion. The Utah Jazz differential right now is a 9.1. It's actually 11 on cleaning the glass if you take out the blowout minutes. Okay? The next closest in the league is actually Phoenix at 6.5. So that seems pretty legit. Here are the teams in the last 20 years of the NBA that have outscored opponents by 9 or more points. Last year's Milwaukee Bucks, and may, that may be the only reference we need, right? They, they got, fell, whatever happened to them, happened. 16-17 NBA champion Golden State Warriors, 11.5. 15-16 San Antonio Spurs who lost uh, when Zaza Pachulia slid under Kawhi Leonard and Golden State Warriors who lost in the finals to the Cleveland Cavaliers. 14-15 NBA champion Golden State Warriors. 12-13 Oklahoma City Thunder that lost in the, I believe they lost, what's that, 12-13 Thunder lose. Heat win the title that year in a championship. Sure they, they lost to the Spurs, right? Yeah, I think they lose to the Spurs in the... Western Conference Finals, is that right? Or did, no, I think the Memphis Grizzlies made the... I think OKC might have lost to Memphis that year in the semifinals. It's my memory on 12-13. I could be wrong on that, but I think I'm right on that, okay? Um, interestingly, by the way, the Heat never had a differential in all their years as the Heatles of nine. So I was surprised by when I ran this today. The 8-09 Cleveland Cavaliers who lost to the Lakers in the finals. The 07-08 world champion Boston Celtics. The 06-07 world champion San Antonio Spurs. Like, is it possible? Or do we just think the regular season this year, there's not another one before uh, since 2000, by the way. Um, do we think that it's it's just we're waiting on LeBron and Anthony Davis we're waiting to see if Kawhi and Paul George decide to 
not get bored in games like they did last night or two nights ago. And that that's really all it is. Is there a chance that this basketball team is legitimately one of the like seven, eight best teams we've seen in 20 years in the NBA? Well, I love how you're framing this like you want me to talk you down from the, the mountaintop high that you're on right now. So I think no, that, I, that part, I, it makes I will, me chuckle. <laughs> I will say, like, I mean, I'm watching this team every night, and I have now crossed over of, like, every time I prep for them, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I'm cleaning the glass today. They're the number one offense and the number two defense in the league. So here's the thing. I remember running a similar search on the Bucks last year when they were kind of plus 10 and looking back over the course of not just the last 20 years, but like all of NBA history, like what happens for those teams when they're plus 10? Like a vast majority of them either win the title or reach the finals. And like the Bucks, I think we're actually the team plus 10 differential to go out the earliest of any team in NBA history. If you look at like the number of games they progress within the playoffs, they weren't the only team to lose in the second round, but I think, I believe they were the only team to lose like in five games or fewer uh, by that stage of the playoffs. So what history would say is if you're able to be this consistently dominant, you it's not fake, right? There, there aren't a lot of examples either the last 20 years or entire NBA history where, a team just completely turns into a different outfit once they reach the playoffs. And I think when you're lining them up, and it's tough depending on matchups, but let's say they got San Antonio, let's say they got Dallas, uh, you know, let's say they even got Golden State. I'm taking the Utah Jazz in any of those series pretty handily, right? I mean, you mentioned the offense-defense balance. None of those teams that I mentioned are even close to being nearly as balanced as that, right? And uh, I think that the biggest question, if you're going to be a jazz skeptic, is the biggest question, if you have a system-based offense and your very best offensive player is not a top seven or eight guy in the league, and I think everybody would agree on that, are you going to be able to generate the same shot quality and are your role players going to be able to hit at the same efficiency levels as they are during the regular season or at least close enough to it so you can sustain your offense, right? I think those are going to be the biggest questions facing the Jazz, and I don't think that those questions are probably really going to matter until the second round. And when you're breaking down second-round matchups, you know, against the Clippers, I mean, the Clippers have been pretty shaky. You know, their baseline has not been the best. Their best moments have been awesome. Their worst moments are really rough, and so their baseline is kind of somewhere in between. I think that their depth this season is not as good as it was last year, and so I think they're kind of vulnerable in a lot of the same ways as they were in those bubble playoffs. So to me, if I had to kind of, you know, guess if they're avoiding the Lakers in the first two rounds, I think they're most likely going to reach the conference finals. And that's sort of where history would say, like, you know, that's, that's kind of your destiny. Like if you reach the conference finals, you know, from there on, uh, you know, you're kind of in the mix with the other teams in the same category. Uh, and so I don't want to put expectations on them, but I think if internally, uh, if I was Quinn Snyder or those players, I would be thinking like, hey, you know, we're legit. We should be reaching the conference finals. And, you know, that's kind of the, the first benchmark that, uh, you know, or, or the big benchmark that we want to reach. All right, let's get to the second story in the Western Conference. I think so fascinating. And it has to do with the, where the play-in game is and what the league has created and the impact. And let's start off with what happened earlier tonight. Portland Trailblazers with their new form team. They added Norman Powell. They got they, they got better than anyone else at the deadline, and they added Nurkic. Here's what Mike Richmond has to say about their win over Detroit. What up, y'all? To pass first point guard, a host of Lockdown Blazers, Mike Richmond. The Blazers swept their road trip 4-0 after beating the Pistons on Wednesday night. They blew some team out. I don't even know what to do with this information. 
The Blazers played a bad team and treated them like one. I'm, it's pretty rare. But the real test is coming. Over the next three of the next Blazers, four games are against the Bucks, Clippers, and Jazz. Uh, they took care of business against bad teams on the road. Now it's time to find out if they can beat good teams. It's been the story with them all season is they've handled the below 500 teams and the, and the mediocre teams, and they haven't been able to knock off the good ones. Over the next week, we're going to find out if the Blazers have made strides and they can beat good teams. That's what's next. To hear more, make sure you listen to Lockdown Blazers. So really interesting. The other side is the Mavericks. Nick Angstead, the Mavs beat the Celtics tonight. Here's what Nick had to say about that. What a game. The Dallas Mavericks squeak went out. They had a 23-point lead at one point. Boston Celtics come all the way back, but the Dallas Mavericks get it. I'm Nick Angstead with the Lockdown Mavericks podcast. And oh my word, Rick Carlisle's head may have rolled if the Mavericks had dropped that game, or at least it would have on Twitter. Dallas Mavericks get the win. Luka Doncic went scorched earth from the three-point line, 7 of 11 in this game. He was just hitting from all over the place. Finished with 36 points, 8 boards, 5 assists. The big story of this one, though, that we'll be getting on the podcast Christoph Porzingis barely played the entire fourth quarter, just went in for situational purposes, basically only went in for rebound purposes in certain spots. The Mavericks decided to go without Christoph Porzingis late in the game. Huge thing. We will break it all down on the Lockdown Mavericks podcast. So these two teams, one of them is playing a play-in game. For, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, you could have a play-in round in an ideal world from the NBA's perspective that has Steph lebron dame and luca like that's a possible scenario <laughs> and think about no, that no. i mean that's one of those no one, wait, wait a sec. one of those would have to make it so if you're gonna really if you're really begging you got lebron you got steph and you got zion <laughs> oh you're going for the the maximum tv rating right uh, for yeah the no look uh no i think um you know with with dallas First of all, I like their decision to go away from Porzingis in theory down the stretch. I think that's probably going to be their best move, depending on matchups when it comes to the playoffs as well. It didn't work out so well in practice in that game against Boston, though. I mean, they were pretty shaky late getting offense going, um, and they had some really sketchy turnovers, but they were able to kind of hold off the Celtics. Uh, in terms of your your statement on the Blazers and how much they improved, uh, Look, it was a calculated gamble for them at the deadline, right? I mean, I think Gary Trent Jr. over the course of the next four years, I think I would rather have him than Norman Powell. But if you're saying the next two months and you're trying to make some noise and you realize like, hey, even in the best case scenario with everybody healthy, your defense is probably not going to be better than average. So you better just have the ability to have insane firepower and just keep coming at teams in a playoff series and kind of hope for the best. Um, that formula is, is going to scare somebody, whoever they play in that first round. So um, the West is absolutely loaded. And, and by comparison, I mean, I don't know if you're kind of feeling the same way I am, but I see basically three teams that matter in the Eastern Conference. I've been waiting and waiting for Miami to join that group, and, and they really haven't quite done it. These other teams, you know, I, I can't really take them seriously. And so it's going to be one of those situations where, to me, the West playing teams that you're describing are going to be better than the four, five, six seven seeds in the Eastern conference, you're going to have, you know, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten in the West is going to be teams you'd rather watch and teams that are more effective and better teams. Uh, and so it's going to be an imbalanced playoff bracket. One again, uh, once again, in my eyes, it's a good point. I hadn't put it in that perspective before, but that certainly is a, is a good, I mean, I think Portland's terrific. Like their offense is fifth in the league. It's only going to get better. They, their defense has been awful, but that's because they've had Ennis Kanter as their center. They now don't have Ennis Kanter as their center. They have Nurkic. I, I don't want any part of that team. Like, 
If the playoffs start today, they're going up against the Clippers. I would suspect that goes seven. And I don't want Dame. Great piece in 538. They're setting picks at 30 feet away from the basket. That's not guardable. You have to go over a pick at 30 feet away from the basket. It's not guardable. Well, and it's like the inflation rate too, Locke. I mean, it's 30 feet now. Let's give it another 18 months. It's going to be 32, right? 33. I mean, it's just going to keep going back and back and back. I mean, that's kind of how the story of his career has gone. He's unbelievable from that distance, and he's had an awesome season, definitely in the MVP conversation. If they get a boost, it's interesting because not only did Denver and Portland boost their teams at the deadline in kind of in this chase, you know, trying to get up in the standings, get a more favorable matchup, you know, potentially get home court in the in the first round. They also boosted their MVP players, their candidate stock, right? I mean, I think Jokic is a big winner by the addition of Gordon because I think the thing holding him back was Denver earlier in the season kind of struggling in the standings, but they've got a shot at the fourth seed now. If they're the fourth seed, he's probably going to win MVP. If Lillard and the Blazers can pass Denver and, and the Nuggets in the um, you know in the standings, now all of a sudden he's going to have a really strong MVP case as well. So we got chess moves all over the place right now in the Western Conference. I um, am with you on Jokic as the MVP, but I'm going to actually debate with you against it in a second here. Um, so I actually would, if you'd asked me when the show started, who the MVP was, I would take Jokic. Um, but I'm going to give you, I want to quibble with you on it for a second when we come back. Um, today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. The brackets are going on. The finals are set. The championship is upon us. Already in the championship, cookie dough chunk. I don't have the final results yet of who won mint brownie versus coconut brownie chunk, but it might be a chunk fest in the championship. So feel free to go to builtbar.com slash pages slash brackets to vote. The final eight were cookies and cream, coconut almond, cookie dough chunk, birthday cake, coconut brownie chunk, caramel brownie, coconut puff, and mint brownie. The flavorful four was mint brownie, coconut brownie chunk, Cookie dough chunk and cookies and cream. I had coconut today on the way to the game. Very good. A little surprised that they lost in the round of 16 to birthday cake. think that was a mistake. Just want to point that out. 100% chocolate. Best tasting. Most remarkable. Protein bar you'll ever have. It's Built Bar. Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at Built Bar and find out who wins the championship coming up. Today's show is also brought to you by betonline.ag. Betonline.ag. You can use the promo code LOCKDOWN. You get a 50% welcome bonus. Major League Baseball futures are all up on betonline.ag if you would like to. Otherwise, you can check out the MVP little battle that we're going to discuss here in a second if you'd like to or whatever else. there, the MVP seems to be uh, Jokic is the favorite. I'm going to quibble with Ben on on why I might kind of disagree with that. Uh, coming up here in just a second, we'll see whether he whether he buys into it. I'm going to walk him into a corner. But in the meantime, go to BetOnline.ag and get your pro, uh, welcome bonus, 50% welcome bonus with the promo code Locked On. All right, Ben, I'm with you. If you'd ask me when the show started. But let me ask you a question. Whose team around them is better? Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Paul Millsap, all these guys? 
or Portland playing with Ennis Canners as center without Nurkic, without C.J. McCollum for most of the year? No, I hear you. That's that's going to be Damian's strongest argument. The other strongest argument for Lillard would just be like they're they have a negative point differential, but they have an amazing record because uh, he just wins every clutch game by himself, right? So if you want to say like who is actually influencing wins and losses in the standings, probably no one has has come close to Lillard this season because like if you just put him, if you replace him with an average player. Uh, Portland is probably down there with New Orleans, like in that range in terms of a record. I would just look at Jokic's supporting cast, though, and say, look, if, if we had this conversation back in January, the conversation would be, wait a minute, why doesn't Jokic have any help? They need to go out and get him some help. You know, I think that Murray started slow, has definitely come on. Um, they've gotten better production from both Will Barton and Michael Porter Jr. And remember, you know, Porter missed a long stretch of the season, so Jokic was carrying the Nuggets, you know, basically single-handedly through that entire stretch. And um, I was actually really pleased to see Denver, after losing, you know, two pretty key players over the uh, over the offseason in uh, Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumlee, like go out and fill those holes at the deadline and help Jokic feel like he's going to have a chance in this race. Because to me, he's absolutely in his prime right now. You can't take these kinds of seasons for granted he has been, you know, basically number one in, in virtually every advanced metric for most of the season, and he just makes his teammates better all around. You know, I think he's in that elite tier of playmakers uh, with LeBron and James Harden, and he's done, he's done even more scoring than usual this season as well. And in key moments, he's been very reliable, and he's been more willing to call his own number uh, in late-game situations, which I love to see from him too. So you add all that up, I don't really see a huge weakness in his case. Um, and I do think that, you know, what you're describing, this debate between Lillard and Jokic, it really could come down to which team has a better record. You know, I think it's going to be like right down to the end here um, in these kinds of debates, just because it's been such a chaotic season with so many different kind of horse race moments. LeBron taking the lead uh, and Bede having a lot of momentum for a while. Harden trying to sneak into the mix. And I think that voters are going to be waiting to the last possible day to cast a ballot. What about Luca? He goes, well, 36, <laughs> he goes 36, 8, and 5 tonight, carrying them over Boston. Like, he's playing with Josh Richardson, Maxi Kleba, Dorian Finney-Smith, Jarrell Brandt, like Tim Hardaway. Like, that team's not great. No, and he's been sensational. And he carried them through an even worse stretch than Denver had because half the team, you know, was out because of health protocols earlier in the year. The only reason why they're in the mix where they are right now is because he put everybody on his back and, and Porzingis was, uh, you know, late coming in the season as well. He should be, you know, in this, this conversation, Giannis should definitely be in the conversation. I think Kawhi Leonard's got no buzz whatsoever. Uh, you know, you look at his numbers, his impact, the Clippers winning in a normal year, I feel like he would be almost like a no brainer top five candidate. And this year he might finish eighth, you know, which is kind of crazy to think about, but it, it uh, wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, just because he hasn't gotten as much attention. So I think the interesting part with Jokic's candidacy, I believe he'd be the first real center, you know, kind of traditional center in terms of a big body seven footer to get a first place vote, I believe since Dwight Howard almost 10 years ago. And I think he'd be the first center since Shaq to actually win the award, if I'm not mistaken, which is pretty wild. And, uh, you know, it does speak to a very interesting time in the league right now where a lot of centers are having big impact in, in different ways. And, 
you know, I think three or four years ago, we all thought, well, small ball's here forever. It's going to be very difficult for, you know, centers to stay on the court in key moments. And we've had a little bit of a correction back the other way. If you're a skilled big man, you can do stuff with the basketball. You can be very, very, very valuable in the modern NBA. There is a chance that six, seven, eight in the Western Conference playoffs is going to be Dame, Luca, and Steph. I'm telling you. And, and look, I really <laughs> oh think the Lakers gosh. are coming down to that range, too. Well, yeah, the question, if the Lakers, Lakers get down to seven, eight, nine, like, I mean, they'll make the playoffs. They're not going to lose two, but like, it's crazy. I don't know. I love this play. And I think this is like the best thing the league's put in for a long time. Cause Anthony Davis, LeBron's injury gets interesting because of it. I, the idea that Portland or Dallas do, isn't going to make the six, like that's going to be a battle here the rest of the way. Unless Portland's just so much better. They're three and a half games ahead and they may not lose enough games for Dallas to catch them. And it won't be nearly as interesting, but um, and then Portland and Denver are going to be in a real battle for home court, I think, because the Lakers are, I'm with you, will slide to either five or six, and and maybe they're going to, you know, I don't think Dallas can catch them four and a half games back, but so the Lakers slip to six, and and then Denver and Portland are battling, or Portland and, yeah, Portland and Denver battling for four or five. It's also, by the way, why this back conversation we had about the one seed, the one seed, the team that you play in the one seed is not Dallas, is not Portland, is not LA, is not Denver. And has already played two games. Correct. That's a huge advantage, and it needs to be talked about more. Because you remember, you know, Portland fought for their life in the bubble to get themselves into that play-in, right? And then they actually they beat Memphis in the per- first play-in game. So they didn't need two play-in games. So you'd think, okay, well, this is going to be kind of their best-case scenario because it's maximizing their amount of rest before they had to play the Lakers. I mean, they were out of that series early. You know, the Lakers kind of handily just dominated them. And, you know, it, uh, Lillard did get kind of injured halfway through, which was definitely a factor. And the Blazers were sort of running on steam and dealing with some injury issues. But, look, those kinds of things are definitely going to catch up to you if you have the favor just kind of sitting, resting, biding their time. And not only that, but scouting. You can watch these teams play in do-or-die games and see exactly what they want to do in those moments. To me, it's a huge advantage for that one seed. Now, the two seed might get somebody who's only had to play one game, so that's a little bit of a lesser uh, Guaranteed. effect. Guaranteed, guaranteed they'll only play someone with one game. Right. So, I mean, you want to be the one seed. That's a real motivation to me, and I would be pushing for that if this winds up being a a real race. I mean, that is a a major benefit. All right, let's go. You made a great point earlier that we have not gotten the fourth best team in the Eastern Conference, largely because we have not gotten the Celtics to do what they want. They lost again tonight. John Corrales from Locked on Celtics joins us. Hey there, John Corrales here from the Locked on Celtics podcast and the Boston Celtics falling short. Again, losing to the Dallas Mavericks. Once again, same old story. Look okay early, then just fall into a giant hole, climb almost all the way out of it, and fall just short. After the game, frustration all over the place. The coach, the players, everyone knows that they need to find an answer to this now. And if they don't, then this season is just a wash. starting to look like that's where it's going. I'm going to talk about it on the Lockdown Celtics podcast, so make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Ben, what's your thought on Boston? To me, I said this about a month ago, and I caught a lot of heat for it. To me, they're the biggest disappointments in the NBA, and they continue to do that. It's nothing but heartbreaking, backbreaking losses from the Celtics. Like, every single night, they do kind of fight back, just like John Corrales was saying, and then they just find a way to lose it in the last couple of minutes. I don't take them seriously at all in the playoffs for one reason. 
if your backcourt defensive guys in key moments are going to be Evan Fournier and uh, and Kemba Walker, I mean, come on, right? That's just not going to work out. And I think Marcus Smart has not been on the same level impact uh, defensively as he was even last year in the bubble. Like, he's just not that just stopper, you know, winning plays type of guy. He just really quite hasn't been there this season. And, you know, their shooting has been real up and down. Their offense, to me, has lacked the pop that, it, you know, that it's played with in the past. Just a lot of isolation stuff. The biggest question mark to me, and not a lot of people are talking about this with Tatum, you know, he was coming into the season viewed as a top 10, top 12 level player. I have not seen a lot of feel from him in terms of when a game starts to slip, when does he shift into that superstar mode and just say, hey, look, I'm not going to let this game slip away. I'm going to keep our team close. I'm going to do whatever it takes, get to the basket, get to the free throw line, and just kind of keep us hanging in there. It's been a little bit of floating from him. You know, it's a little bit of Paul George at his worst, you know, where it's sort of um, a lot of settling for jumpers, a lot of kind of standing and watching. And I'm not trying to pin all their struggles on him, but they need a savior right now. And I think most people would circle him and say, well, this is the guy who's going to pull you out of the slumber and bring you to the promised landing and get you into a better playoff spot. And, you know, tonight, for example, Luca completely outplayed him, just completely outclassed him, uh, you know, outscored him, out-assisted him, out-distributed everything that you would want a player to do in that situation. It really wasn't close. And uh, I just think that, you know, Boston needs more up and down the roster. And, uh, you know, I think the, the Fournier move was kind of a signal of their desperation. They needed to shake it up, try to get a little bit more pop something. And I, I don't think that's going to be uh, – you know, a real life raft for them. I think they're kind of stuck. They're going to be fighting just to get into the real playoff bracket. You know, I see them right now as a play-in team. I think they make the playoff. They make the top six. There's just not six good teams. Charlotte's really not that good. New York's not that good. In fact, New York proved it tonight. Let's go to Ben Beck and Lockdown Wolves. He actually has good news. Ben Beacon with Lockdown Wolves here. The Timberwolves held on to beat the Knicks tonight by one. They trailed by as many as 18 in the first half. They were down by 11 at the start of the fourth quarter. But Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Edwards were amazing down the stretch. Carlton Towns had 18, 17, and 6. Jaden McDaniels had 18 points, 5 rebounds, made 4 threes in the game, was awesome in the second half. Anthony Edwards went on a 7-0 run by himself at one point in the fourth quarter, scored 7 consecutive points for the Wolves, and ended up with 24 in this one. Malik Beasley had 20 on just 9 shots in his third game back after his suspension. It was a well-balanced win. Really encouraging play down the stretch. Carl Anthony Towns shut down R.J. Barrett on a switch on the final possession of the game, and the Wolves secured the rebound and put this one away. Really fun victory. Fun to see Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, and the other young Timberwolves players play well. We'll talk all about it on Locked On Wolves tonight. Make sure you're subscribed and that you check out Locked On Wolves for all things Minnesota Timberwolves. See, I promise you, Boston's going to go make the regular playoffs because the Knicks, if you lose that game, you're not making top six. Well, I mean, it's funny because Minnesota tried to give it to him twice with just insane turnovers late in that game. And, you know, you're kind of sitting around wondering, well, how does Minnesota have such a bad record? I mean, closing games for them is just an absolute adventure. But New York uh, wasn't able to take advantage. They did have the shot. You know, RJ had a pretty good look. Um, it just didn't go down. I hear what you're saying, but, you know, Boston has a lot of the 3-2-1 Cancun vibes to him right now. Uh, it just looks off, you know. And when they need to kind of rally together and do it, they just kind of don't do it. So I'm not saying that they're like they're, they're the most talented team from this group, probably other than Miami. I mean, Miami is a team that we definitely expect to rise here at some point. Um, you, you would hope that they would pass Charlotte. Um, you would expect, you know, New York and potentially Atlanta to kind of come back to earth. But 
right now, and I haven't been a, the biggest Hawks fan all season, right now I think Atlanta's going to finish above Boston in the standings. Like, I just think they're playing better. They're playing more together. And Boston, I'm just kind of sick of waiting for, for them to kind of, like, get their stuff together. Milwaukee beat the Lakers 112-97, and we'd like to thank the Sacramento Kings, who just decided to lose to, by 14 to the Spurs to make sure that none of us believed their five-game win streak was enough to make us think that they actually had it turned around. For a brief moment there, you thought Sacramento was making a run, and then they did this tonight. Yeah, I mean, they've had, uh, they've had a couple of those stretches this year. I mean, they're kind of like a real tease-type team. Uh, they had some awesome moments in this winning streak. I mean, the Harrison Barnes game winner, De'Aaron Fox going absolutely nuts, putting up monster numbers. So I don't want to crush them too much. And I also don't think they're quite eliminated yet, uh, but they're obviously fighting an uphill battle. I do think that they could feel relatively justified in not selling off at the trade deadline, though. It's like they have something to play for. They probably weren't going to be getting bowled away with offers uh, for Harrison Barnes if you kind of look at the type of package that went for a player like Aaron Gordon. And so they might as well take a shot. It's been a while since they've had anything to play for. I think it's kind of good for their internal culture, good for some of their younger players to get a taste of, you know, what a stretch run actually feels like. Because most of these years, Locke, frankly, you know, you get to March and April. I mean, it's already shutdown season for the Kings, right? So, um, you know, they've also kind of owe it to Luke Walton a little bit. You know, they, they've kind of talked about how they're sticking with him. They don't want to fire him when it's like, all right, well, go out there and let him try to compete. You know, don't just make it into a, a developmental season. And the other tricky part for them is like their main developmental guy, the guy who you would really want to see get huge minutes and touches and opportunities down the stretch is Bagley. And he's been injured and very unimpressive this season. So, uh, you know, kind of that one is almost taken away from you as an option. So you might as well just go out there and try to win every game and see what happens. He's Ben Golliver. I'm David Locke. And all truth in this, I think Sacramento could catch Memphis. I just think the Pelicans catch both of them. We'll see whether I'm right. Ben and I will be back on Friday. Anthony and Adam with you tomorrow. It is Locked On NBA. Right now, tell your smart device to go listen to the most recent episode of Locked On Today.